Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, Bank of England Governor Mark Carney indicates an interest rate hike is not imminent in the U.K. Cisco beats profit estimates but points to challenges in emerging markets. Amazon is hiring even as UBS lowers its rating on the retailer. And the mainland's better trade numbers juice up Chinese stocks listed in New York. Those stories coming up shortly and more from the likes of Mark Carney and Fed St. Louis President James Bullard. Expected interest rates have remained low even as the economy has recovered strongly. Uncertainty about interest rates has fallen. And most importantly, UK businesses have understood the message. The objective is not to have forward guidance forever. The objective is to have a recovery um, that moves into an expansion that is a sustainable expansion, sustainable and balanced uh, expansion. That's the objective. And growth projections from James Bullard. Autopilot is too strong. Uh, we do react to data. We do pay attention to the data. I think all we're saying is that so far this hasn't been enough to derail our plans. And, and the plan is definitely to move out of the QE program. The economy has been improving and continues to improve. He sees 3% growth for the U.S. economy this year, and there he was responding to, is the Fed on autopilot? Now he says, no, we will be watching the data. Also on the program is China on the mend. China's exports increased in January more than 100 times uh, what economists were expecting. Yes, 100 times. Growth was 10.6%, if you believe the numbers, compared to estimates of just 0.1%. However, the trade numbers have stoked a bit of skepticism, and we'll take a closer look. Our guests this morning include Uwe Parpart from the Reorient Group on Markets. Peter Tall Larson from Reuters Breaking Views will be with us on Alibaba, Tencent, and Baidu and the moves that they've been making to sell wealth management products in China. And Warren Lau of Maybank Kimeng Securities will be along to help us look ahead to Lenovo's expected earnings out later in the day. But first, the news flow. The Bank of England has tried to reassure markets it will not raise interest rates anytime soon. This is despite a fast than expected decline in Britain's jobless rate. The inflation environment is more benign than we had anticipated. In particular, inflation has fallen from 5% in 2011 back to target for the first time in, uh, since 2009. Global inflation is subdued, with core inflation in both the euro area and U.S. close to 1%. Commodity prices have fallen, and sterling has appreciated by 10% since its March trough. <coughs> We're giving guidance that if and when the time comes uh, that the economy can sustain higher interest rates, bank rate is expected to rise only gradually. For a sustained and balanced recovery, the degree of stimulus will need to remain exceptional for some time. So Mr. Carney, uh, like Ms. Yellen at the Fed, uh, trying to walk a tightrope between highlighting many of the gains made, but also saying that more needs to be done. So we'll hear a little bit here from Mr. Carney as he picks out some of the gains made in the UK economy. The recovery has gained momentum. Output is growing at its fastest rate since 2007. Jobs are being created at the fastest or quickest pace since records began, and after four years above target, the inflation rate is back at 2%. Now, the first phase of guidance was about the conditions that would have to be met before we'd even begin to think about raising bank rate. Now we're outlining what we intend to do, which is to close a spare capacity gap over the next few years, why we intend to do it, 
which is to keep inflation at target and avoid wasteful spare capacity, particularly in the labor market, and how we intend to do it. First, by waiting to raise bank rate until spare capacity has been absorbed further, and then eventually through gradual and limited rate increases. The central bank previously had said that it would consider raising its benchmark rate once unemployment fell to 7%. That was something that policymakers didn't expect to happen until 2015. But the jobless rate sank in the latest reading and now stands at just 7.1%. With that in mind, Mr. Carney said that a variety of economic factors, not just unemployment, would be taken into account when it comes to raising rates. We've got Uwe Parpar, the Managing Director and Head of Research at the Reorient Group, waiting in the wings. Just want to do a little bit here on Wall Street, and then we'll bring in Mr. Parpart. On Wall Street, stocks down slightly after four days of gains. The S&P 500 was down less than 0.1%, though, at 1819. The Dow dropping 30 points to 15,963. Traders said that it was good to take uh, something of a breather. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard said that he expects fairly solid growth this year. I expect 3% growth or better in 2014, and, uh, and, so I, I, and I expect unemployment will continue to decline. I think we could be down at 6% or lower by the end of this year. So that's really quite a bit better than what people were expecting when we announced the QE program in September of 2012. Yesterday, Fed Chief Janet Yellen said more needed to be done on jobs. Mr. Bullard was asked if there was something of a conflict in that between the Fed tapering its asset buying program when more needed to be done on jobs. No, I think uh, I think she had it just right in the testimony. Uh, uh, we're buying. We're still buying a lot of bonds, uh, not quite as many as in December, but we're still buying a lot. And the economy is improving and things are, are getting better. We had, you know, if you look at fourth quarter jobs, uh, about 195,000 a month, even including the bad uh, December report. Uh, unemployment down to 6.6 percent. Uh, GDP growth in the second half of last year, three and a half percent on average. So, um, you know, I think we are looking at a stronger economy. I think we've got momentum for 2014. I haven't seen anything so far to dissuade me from that. And looking at Asian markets, the Nikkei is down 15 points in the early going. In Australia, the ASX 200 is up 12 points. And in Seoul, the Kospi is little changed, uh, a gain of 1 point to 1937. We say good morning now to Uwe Parpart, Managing Director and Head of Research at the Reorient Group. Uwe, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. So I, I think you would probably take exception to uh, what Mr. Bullard was saying, because you don't think that growth is coming back too strongly in the United States. Uh, no, I, you know, he's talking about three and a half percent in the uh, in the second half of last year. Um, you know, more than half of that is uh, simply due to inventory buildup. So, you know, I, I I think you have to look at final sales uh, as real indicator of um, you know how well the economy is doing, and uh, uh, that's below two percent. Uh, so our you know, projection for the U.S. economy is uh, nowhere near a real uh, 3%, but much closer to the uh, 2% uh, level that we've been been seeing for the past several years. So is the, and, Fed, um, is the Fed wrong to be tapering? Uh, well, you know, that, that's, that's a, sort of a loaded question for me because I've, I've never been a great favorite of, uh, of quantitative easing to begin with. I think it uh, distorts all sorts of 
aspects of the market uh and you know i'm i'm in favor of uh of them getting rid of it altogether as quickly as possible so that i don't have to start you know worrying every day i wake up about what you know color blouse janet yellen is wearing rather than you know to 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 see her mood rather than actually looking at the market and thereby trying to figure out what the economy is doing so i i think uh uh, it's good to uh, to get rid of uh, quantitative easing, uh, but not because of the fact that all of a sudden QE has improved the economy. It has not done that. If you set aside the Fed then and focus on earnings, uh, the earnings at S&P 500 companies have been pretty good, uh, rising by 8.3% uh, in in the fourth quarter. Sales not quite so good, up 2.7%, but still in all, not, not so bad. Uh, some 76% of companies are beating estimates. Uh, do you think the market will focus more now on earnings and less on quantitative easing? Uh, well, it will have to because it, it, it looks like, I mean, uh, Janet Yellen would, would, would look really, you know, uh, totally stupid if she st- stopped tapering at this point. I mean, that, that they, they can't be, you know, they, they, they've made uh, some extraordinary decisions last year, like in September when they did not start tapering when everybody expected it. Uh, you know, their, their whole forward guidance is in that direction right now. So, uh, they they cannot uh, change at the moment once again uh, the, the the course of monetary policy direction. Well, they could uh, if if they if they <laughs> if they saw yeah. things more the way you do. do. Uh, yeah. For instance, back in September, they were a little concerned about uh, what happened in emerging markets and how much right. uh, rates had moved up, and and also perhaps a, a little slackening in demand. The housing market slowed down a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I guess you know they they were actually uh, paying attention. Yeah, Brian. The underlying problem here is that that you know you you have to convince me that that uh, quantitative easing really is uh, something that can improve the economy fundamentally. I, I simply do not believe that. I think throwing liquidity at the economy that has structural issues to overcome and deal with uh, is 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 simply uh, not going to happen. We've had quantitative easing, mind you, for nearly five years now. And uh, the average economic performance in the United States uh, is, you know, yes, 2009 was a horrible year. But after that, you know, it's, it's just uh, nowhere near back to, to normal. And uh, the easing has not made the difference. So well, what about, is, to my mind, not the right discussion at the moment. What about <laughs> these, um, these China export numbers uh, rising yeah. as much as they did in January? This is a mm-hmm. very uh, pertinent question for us. Uh, exports up 10.6%. You know, some people raising some doubts about that. It was significantly better than what um, a bunch of economists expected. What, what do you think? Is it legitimate? And if so, yeah. where are these exports going? Uh, yeah, it's legitimate, and um, uh, it's also legitimate on the import side. Mind you, we not only had you know much better performance or outperformance on the export side, but also on the import side. On the import side, we 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 know a lot uh, about what actually came in in volume terms. For example, iron ore export uh, imports were up forty five percent. Uh, they were in value terms up only 32% because the price of iron ore, you know, went down a bit. But um, on the export side, uh, look, uh, the way invoice faking happens is people, uh, you know, round trip exports to, through through Hong Kong and then uh, 
know, invoice that uh, as exports and, and collect the money back. Uh, actually, uh, in, in January, the uh, exports uh, from China into Hong Kong dropped by 18.3% rather than being up. Uh, so that venue, or rather that you know alley of of uh, fake invoicing, uh, certainly uh, was not being used. If 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 any alley was being used, uh, we have no uh, uh, reason to believe that uh, there is at this point a uh, major distortion. So you take think, it on good uh, faith. Yeah, you take it on good yeah. faith, and and I think the. Uh, movement in the Australian dollar might back it up a little bit. The Aussie dollar has gone right. from something like 86 cents to, to this morning 90.22. So that is sometimes seen as a barometer on what's happening in China. Um, so maybe that bears it out as well. Yeah, and we will uh, we will get. Uh, we were just discussing that in our morning call in the uh, internal morning call in the company. We're getting uh, uh, the uh, you know Rio, one of the biggest uh, exporters, commodity exporters uh, in Australia, reporting its results uh, this afternoon at at two o'clock. We we fully expect that they will uh, actually confirm that uh, the the uh, iron ore in in, in volume terms that. That they actually shipped, uh, you know, is, is conforms with what, for example, China reports on the import side, and on the export side, it's very difficult to to, to fake invoices when you are exporting to uh, Japan and the EU. And uh, I think the major uh, export increases that we saw in the month of January actually were uh, to those two destinations. So. Okay. Well, so um, for that, you know, for once, I'm, I'm, uh, I always remain skeptical about uh, China data, but in this particular case, I, I have to say, no, this is this is genuine. Okay, if it's legit, and if it's fairly strong, and if uh, Japan and Europe aren't growing that uh, strongly, doesn't this bear out what Bullard was saying that there is a pickup in the U.S. because presumably a lot of these exports are going there. Well, but they're not. I mean, the major export increases were to Japan and and the uh, uh, and and Europe, and and in fact, um, you know, the Japanese economy uh, provably has been uh, growing uh, uh, very significantly, well above three percent uh, last year, uh, and is continuing to 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 grow at that level. There's no no reason to assume that there's anything wrong in, in Japan. There's nothing okay. wrong in the stock market. Yeah, okay. That's, that's uh, different. We've got uh, a couple of other guests coming up, but I want to get really briefly and maybe two 30-second answers. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's, it sounds like uh, you, you, you don't buy into the crisis in the emerging markets developing. Are you okay with what's happening in EM? Uh, well, I'm not okay, again, across the board. I think that the that, that two EM uh, Kind of things, and very, very briefly, uh, look at the current account. If the current account is bad, as in uh, Turkey, India, Indonesia, Brazil, stay away. If the current account is positive, like in uh, Thailand or Philippines, etc., then you know Korea, then go there. Okay. So it's not all the same thing. And, and finally, uh, we've seen gold pick up. We see some of the copper mm -hmm. companies uh, performing better in the stock market. Are commodities coming back? Uh, there's, uh, again, not all commodities uh, are equal. Uh, our own uh, analysts uh, have made a call on, on, on gold uh, about a month ago, uh, being very positive on it, especially uh, some gold stocks, the smaller gold stocks that were underpriced. Uh, that, that remains intact. Uh, 
the uh, copper and iron ore sector is uh, coming back. It's not my favorite at the moment. I'm still, you know, bullish on China tech stocks and, and sticking with that. Okay. Can you give us one pick then? Not particularly one pick, but if you look at uh, the, the the space uh, uh, companies like Tencent, Baidu, etc., you know, certainly okay. are are uh, still going to be uh, uh, strong performers. And uh, we all expect now that Alibaba will eventually have to list in Hong Kong, and when they do, that's that's what you want to buy. Okay, Uwe, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a long time since we've had you on the program, right. but thanks much. Uwe Parpar, Managing Director at the Reorient Group, and providing there at the end a nice segue into our next segment. Mentioned Alibaba. Well, the online payment affiliate of Alibaba will soon roll out its first wealth management product. Other Chinese Internet companies like Baidu, like Tencent, are also moving deeper into financial services. And Peter Tallarson from Reuters Breaking Views joins us now on the program. Peter, good morning. Yeah, good to have you. Uh, this this seems a little scary, um, but good. Uh, a good business angle, I guess, for these companies. But will the authorities crack down on it? Well, that is the that is the, the, the several billion dollar question. Um, and basically, Alibaba and to a lesser extent uh, Tencent and some of the others have been able to um, build what actually looks like almost a, a fully-fledged banking business um, uh, without actually having a banking license. If you look at Alibaba, they they do the three things that bank do, the banks do. They handle payments. Um, they allow people to invest in money market funds uh, at rates, you know, sort of 6%, much better than you can get on a, on a deposit account in China. Um, and they're also making loans to, to small businesses. And um, so actually, now they're doing those three things separately, and they're doing them often through through affiliates and things. But um, actually, if you're an Alibaba user, uh, you may not really appreciate that distinction, and it may look like a bank. Now, that's good for competition and good for competing with the um, uh, the big state-owned Chinese banks. Um, but obviously, it raises some regulatory questions because they are doing all of this without any kind of formal banking licenses. And do users trust companies like Tencent and Alibaba um, even more than the banks? It definitely seems to be the case. Yes, they're um, uh, you know we, we've seen, uh, for example, this uh, this investment uh, product they have. You has taken something like $40 billion um, under management already. Um, they're now rolling out a, a one-year product which will, uh, which offers a sort of 7% or promises a 7% return, and this, that seems to be very popular as well. Um, and why, part of not? That, you, why not? You only get 3% in the bank. Well, exactly, and that's part of the problem, right, is that the, is that the, the banking system is, is distorted um, because of those regulated deposit rates. Now, that will change at some point, um, uh, and you know, there's clearly the reform has been heading in that direction. Um, but in the meantime, um, you know, uh, companies like Alibaba and Tencent can can take advantage of that and can really can pull some of those deposits out of the banks um, and and offer people a better return. What will AliPay's um, wealth management product be actually invested in? Now that's an extremely good question. Um, uh, uh, I think because obviously with the with this um, you know the previous one that was in the news a lot uh, invested in a coal mine that had troubles. 
Well, that was yeah, that was a trust product, obviously, yeah. um, which uh, which got bailed out, and, and actually, there's another one which is in trouble now. Um, uh, I think, the, but you're right. Where, where that money is going is an extremely good question. Um, I mean, we think it's going into um, into sort of um, you know government bonds and in, back into the interbank market. So, in some ways, actually, they're taking deposits from the banks and then lending it back to the banks at a, at a higher rate. I mean, the big question, um, I think, the, the reason this might worry the regulators is is what might happen if there was, um, you know, if, if, if these returns proved to be disappointing and if people rushed to pull their money out, what would be the systemic consequences of that? And also, what would be, uh, what, would it, what would customers expect? Would they expect Alibaba to basically reimburse them for their investment? Um, and I'm sure all the small print says, you know, this, is, uh, this, this can go down as well as up and, and, you know, it's your own risk. But whether the people who, you know, who are relatively younger, who are buying these products, really understand that this isn't actually Alibaba promising, guaranteeing them a return, and how they would respond if they didn't get that return, that's the big question, and that is what will make regulators nervous. Yeah. You wonder whether the regulators are targeting the investors more and, and trying to get them to realize you're taking on more risk if, you, if you're getting 7%, or if they're targeting the banks and the uh, financial institutions and the shadow banks more, saying that they need to clean up what they're doing. Well, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, clearly you need to um, – I mean, one of the big problems with the Chinese financial system is that, you know, um, none of these products ever default. So people tend to think that, um, you know, they'll, they're, they're kind of guaranteed a return. Um, and until now, that's always been the case. Someone has always kind of stepped in and, and, and bailed out some failing product. Okay. Um, but that – you know, so, so there needs to be some moral hazard there. But at the same time, you also need to think about – what the systemic consequences might be if something goes bad and make sure that you can you can deal with that as well. So in 30 seconds or so, doesn't it just seem like a no-brainer that they let a smaller one default to kind of show people that they won't bail out everybody? Uh, yes, um, but I think there are many forces uh, at work, um, big banks uh, who want to avoid the embarrassment of having one of the products that they distributed go bad, local governments who don't want to have a default on their doorstep. So, so actually... The sort of the drive to sort of have moral hazard that is 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 uh, um, is there, but um, I think there are many people who will try and resist that for as long as they possibly can. Okay, Peter, thank you very much for coming on this pro program. Thanks, Brian. Peter Tallarson, Reuters Breaking Views. Yes, Hong Kong, not Alabama, but uh, we are looking at uh, a very important Chinese company now. Uh, Lenovo Group expected to report solid earnings today. But this time, investors will be looking very closely at a couple of recent massive acquisitions. Uh, Lenovo buying Google's Motorola Mobility handset business for almost $3 billion and also buying the low-end server business from IBM. We're joined by Warren Lau from Maybank Kimeng Securities. Warren, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's great to have you on. Um, just uh, looking here at Lenovo, I mean, it's a company that's very much in the spotlight now uh, with these massive purchases, uh, or at least the planned purchases. And they won't actually factor in, I wouldn't think, into the earnings that we'll see today, but uh, it should be in the spotlight. Uh, yes, indeed. You know, Lenovo has been the uh, stock to talk about among investors for the past two weeks following the two acquisitions. Um, but, you know, in fact, if you look at the uh, the core earnings that result is going to be released uh, this afternoon, the result itself is going to be uh, very strong. In fact, we're expecting a record high 
uh, numbers. And uh, how, how come? How have they done that? Yeah, um, if you, uh, we are looking at revenue to grow at about 10 to 15% year on year on products, on all the product segments, uh, basically on the PC, smartphone, as well as tablet, gaining market shares uh, globally. Um, for the first time in many years, I think they are basically a top four players globally in virtually all the product segments. It almost seems counterintuitive, though, that they could be increasing revenue and, and squeezing out or milking a lot of profit when other PC makers have stumbled. Indeed, uh, uh, I think the main uh, consideration is that it has been able to gain market share on the PC front. Uh, in fact, in fiscal 2013, despite the global PC shipment was down about uh, about more than 10 percent year on year, and the Lovo has been able to gain market share about uh, about two to three percent. So, about, how about smartphones? Are they succeeding in selling smartphones? Yes, in fact, I think you'll be quite surprised that the Lovo right now rank number four globally, number four, number five globally uh, uh, in market shares at about four to five percent. But most of the uh, uh, market segments that they're participating in is a global emerging market, such as China as well as uh, Southeast Asia. It, it seems a very difficult space to operate in. Lots of PC makers stumbling. Uh, even a big company like uh, Samsung uh, struggled in its latest earnings. Uh, they must be the Lenovo management team must be good. Well, I think that being said, you know, the core PC business did generate bulk of the profit. We estimate uh, about 95 or to 98%. The smartphone devices uh, as well as the tablet, perhaps, I think the operating margin is less than 1%. So that's still representing um, the operation. They still continue to improve uh, in the next couple of years as they continue to gain the scale as well as gaining a market share globally. Well, management will certainly be under a lot of pressure to integrate these two large purchases. Um, uh, do you expect to hear a lot today from the management team on how you know, they will um, you know, take in those, those two uh, businesses and integrate them into Lenovo's uh, r regular business model? Yeah, I, I think exactly that. I think that is going to be key focus, not only in today's conference call, but I think in the next uh, several quarters. I think despite the fact we think that the revenue is going to grow about 30% year on year in the latest set of quarterly results, I think the key consideration is basically you know, the integrations of these two businesses but to certain extent that you know, how Nelovo as well as Motorola are going to reduce the uh, losses that the uh, Motorola incurred. That is about over a billion U.S. dollars. What sort of rating do you have on this company? Uh, we have been a pretty positive Nelovo for the past year and a half, um, uh, but we have taken our rating down to a whole uh, following the acquisition of Motorola because we think that the earning risk uh, in the next uh, one to two years will simply be too high. Perhaps uh, you are quite likely to see the street. We'll have to take down an earning estimate uh, in fiscal 15 as well as 16. Okay, Warren, thank you very much for uh, taking out the time to be with us, and thanks for sitting through the entire program. That's Warren Lau, Maybank Kimeng Securities, looking at Lenovo's earnings out later today. Well, markets uh, are sort of mixed in Asia this morning, much like the story on Wall Street and in Europe. And so we'll be watching closely. Gold did have a pretty sharp pickup overnight, now almost $1,300 an ounce. The weather today, it will be cold, cloudy to overcast with some rain patches, low visibility expected, the maximum temperature about 10 degrees. And these are the actual words from the observatory, remaining cold and gloomy in the next couple of days. 
So gloomy conditions here in Hong Kong. And the current air temperature is just 9 degrees. Back chat coming up next. And uh, first, the news. We get the latest now from the newsroom. Aid workers in Syria have resumed humanitarian operations to besieged areas of Homs after they were suspended for a day. The governor of Homs says more than 200 trapped residents have been evacuated. Earlier, the Syrian Red Crescent managed to get trucks of food into the old city. The BBC's Lise Doucette, who's in Homs, watched the arrival of the evacuees. Three large buses pulled up. Most of the passengers were young men. They were brought into the abandoned ballroom being used as a reception centre, along with a small number of women and children. But the men will now be questioned separately about their involvement in the war, an operation the UN says it's watching closely to ensure they are not mistreated. Some men told us they were fearful of their future. But everyone we spoke to was relieved that at last their long ordeal inside the besieged old city was now over. Commercial radio 